2: my mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. my job, not just to entertain, but to educate you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Listen up! There is no next NVIDIA! I made that very clear this week at our CNBC Investing Club annual meeting. It became actually a running joke because everybody wants the next NVIDIA. Now, that the original NVIDIA has made this stunning multi-year move. People say NVIDIA's made it. Jim, I want something new that will rally the same way. Now, on days like today where the Dow dipped 62 points, this being climbed 0.38%, Nasdaq edged down 0.13%. We realize how hard it is to find another company that can produce such unbelievable revenue growth. I'd argue NVIDIA is the greatest demand story ever told. Artificial intelligence can be the game changer for everything that is digital. Everything. We know that potentially represents trillions of dollars, not in demand, not, not billions, not but trillions. T. No other company has a total adjustable market that size to itself. And while there are still some companies with larger market capitalizations, namely Microsoft and Apple. I could see NVIDIA suppressing even them in the not too distant future. That's not crazy, people. Of course, the whole thing does seem totally insane. Why? Here's, the, here's why. Okay, let me just say it. Remember I called it the Nouveau Restock? It was only worth 95 billion five years ago. Now it's worth almost two trillion. In fact, the stock's up 1875% since we first visited CEO Jensen Wong at his headquarters. But when you create something great enough, you can justify that kind of move. Apple makes the best phones in the world, doesn't it? It's now worth $2.8 trillion, But that's easy to swallow because it was worth $822 billion five years ago. Microsoft has a virtual monopoly on an important slice of enterprise and consumer software, which is why it's worth $3 trillion. now. But it was worth $862 billion five years ago. So it did give you a terrific move, but not anything like what happened here with NVIDIA. Let me put it like this. Who could potentially join the trillion dollar class along with Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, Amazon, the much trashed Alphabet, and the much now beloved Meta? If we accept that Nvidia is a freak of nature, then we want to look underneath the $1 trillion uh, for candidates, right? I mean, maybe there's something in there brewing in the 700, 600 billion thing. Well, sure enough, number one is Berkshire Hathaway, run by Warren Buffett, who just said, though, that the days of the eye returns are over. That's an $885 billion market cap. Berkshire has more than $160 billion in cash, uh, so there's a lot it could buy. Buffett's way too disciplined just to start buying things up here. Buffett outlines how much he loves two core positions, American Express and Coca-Cola. Amex has been terrific of late. Coca-Cola's been okay, but it buys back a ton of stock and continues to raise his dividend, which is what Buffett wants. Makes him a larger shareholder of the institution. Still, they aren't going to get him to jump over the trillion-dollar wall. Maybe he can engineer a turn in the fortunes of Burlington Northern, the largest railroad in America, Berkshire Portfolio Company. But the numbers here were quite disappointing versus the others in the sector. If anything, anything can get this one over the trillion-dollar mark, you know what it's going to be? It'll have to be the continual and shocking rise in the cost of your auto insurance. That's right. In the end of the day, it was all about Geico. It is strange that Geico is the most important swing vote here, even as Berkshire owns a huge position in Apple that was responsible for a lot of the gains. But then again, Geico is the most valued because it offers a great service for less money. Who will be next up? Well, come on, Eli Lilly, right? I mean, it's 733000000000 billion. It's got a serious chance of passing a trillion dollars as the glp one weight loss drugs become more widely accepted. What will that take? The insurance companies need to recognize that these drugs are being used responsibly to combat diabetes and obesity. A lot of comorbidities there, but also soon hypertension, COPD, fatty liver disease, perhaps so many other conditions we don't even know. Now, there is, though, a real disconnect between what these drugs do and what people think they do. They make your willpower dramatically stronger by making lots of foods less tasty. They make it harder to eat. They don't make it, I'm sorry, they don't make it harder to eat. That's not what they do. They just take away the incentive to binge on junk food and alcohol. Now, Lily has an Alzheimer's treatment that's probably about to be approved, I'd say, even almost any day now by the FDA. I think the stock sells off though in the news because it's so widely anticipated. Look, I just told you, right? I mean, like, if I come in, if it's approved, and I come in, I can't believe it's approved. You'll remember that on Monday I said it's going to be approved, right? Uh, I told investor members this weekend that it's probably going to sell off on the news. I believe when the worldwide data for the GOPs dash ones comes in, though. Lily will be propelled to the trillion dollar level, the first drug company to do so, hence why we own it for the Travel Trust. Tesla's third at $635 billion, and it does feel like some big portfolio manager right now, right here, has decided to make a stand, not letting it go any lower. I know that sounds strange, but that almost conspiratorial, right? But that is how Tesla trades. There could be a cathy Wood imitator out there buying Tesla, not letting it come down, not caring if they get it cheaper, tour de force, arrogant buyer. Who's ever buying it can't take it back? to a trillion, though. They just can't. That's a humpty-dumpty there. There's too many points between here and there. But when Tesla unleashes its new models nationwide, I think could jump a couple, I mean, maybe ten, a couple of 10 billions. Fourth, could Broadcom, symbol AVGO, at 613 billion, be the next one? Now, I feel this charitable trust name could go higher because of its CEO, Hock Tan, who's a master of making acquisitions. I know it sounds glib, but this is a man who wants to accumulate companies, then milk them in order to fund the next big acquisition, sell a division off or another division, and that's pretty much how it gets there. Now, my fear is that this partner of Nvidia could never be more than that. If that's the case, Nvidia might need to crack the five trillion before, mark before Broadcom crosses the trillion dollar threshold. See, we need pin action from Nvidia. How about? I'll- Visa. All right, five hundred eighty-six billion. This is a tough one because it's the original fintech, and the market loves Visa. But its rivalry with Mastercard makes it problematic. Let's both go over a trillion-dollar market. I don't think that can hit. That. I don't think that can happen. That said, both stocks are fantastic because the credit card business is a slap happy oligopoly. Next up, J.P. Morgan's crashed through the five hundred billion-dollar barrier of late. It's a terrific statement that a bank could make it this high. But it's been gradually grinding its way higher over time. I don't think it can make it to the mark anytime soon. Because while banks are moneymakers, they are slow to demonstrate. Let me give you three more that are in the $400 billion club, United Health, MasterCard, and Ex- ExxonMobil. I think there's a visa ceiling for MasterCard like I just mentioned. Exxon's forerunner, Standard Oil, had at one time 100 percent market share in the oil business. Yet the only, the only oil in many places in this country was Standard Oil. But that's not gonna happen again. United Health, I think it has a shot, but it needs to deal with a cyber threat first. I mean, this thing's oddly raging still. Here's the bottom line. There is no next NVIDIA. It's what we call at law school sui generis. And you might not see another story this strong for a generation. But these are there are other companies that I just outlined that can break through the trillion dollar barrier. And while they're not as exciting as NVIDIA, a few of them come pretty darn close, especially Eli Lilly, Gary in West Virginia. Gary. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Long time first time. Like Thanks that. for helping us little guys. I hope Roll I little, should I add some here. Your thoughts. I like AMD very, very much. You know, we own Nvidia for the child trust and Broadcom. We sit there and think, how many of these can we really own? I think at AMD. You could buy some here and gets to one hundred and fifty. You buy some more. That's my take. I need to go to Jag in New Jersey. Jag. Hi, Jim. How are ja- you? I'm doing well, Jag. How about you? Good. Good. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Of uh, course. We really-
1: all you educate and uh, help the community with your wisdom of uh, investing.
2: Oh, thank um, you, man. Thank you. <laughs> we love you. Oh, thanks a lot. Thank you. That feels good. I like be right back. I loved all the people at the conference. It was great. Yeah. Uh,
1: my question is about MTV. Uh, so some of your advice for considering buying a stock to invest uh, um, uh, in this uh uh, 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 sorry, my uh, some of your advice for considering buying a stock to invest in is when there is uh, heavy insider buying. Correct. What uh, is that a lot with NYCB? Given uh, the back- I, I don't.
2: I, I, financials don't count uh, because a lot of these guys don't even seem to know their own banks. So I'm going to take a pass on that one. They just buy it because, like, they think it's going to work. What do they know? I mean, they obviously don't know. They never have got in trouble to begin with. Let's go to George. That's what my mom would have said. Let's go to – she knew. Let's go to George in Pennsylvania. George.
3: Jim Kramer, George. George. Uh, George from Valley Forge, PA.
2: Holy cow. Let's go to, the, let's go to King and Prussian Wall for the show. Hey, I'm buying. Uh, okay.
3: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. March Madness is coming up. Is DraftKings – DKNG: A buy, sell, or hold. All right, got
2: to let DraftKings come down. So after they announced the, whatever they did with the NFL, the final handle, uh, now they're not going to report till May, and then we can look again. I feel like the stock is up on such a big spike, I want to be a little more cautious. Now we're going to go to Steve, also in Pennsylvania. Steve! Hi, Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks Fantastic. for taking my call. I'm glad you called. I'd like to know about Boeing in the next 12 to 24 months. What your feelings are on that? I think they at Boeing would like to know about Boeing in the next 12 to 24 months. And that's part of the problem. This com- this company is uniquely not in charge of its own destination. And I'm beginning to get current- concerned, as I said the other day. If the FAA just comes out and says, OK, look, let's just have a let's just clean house. Then I think you'd see the stock up substantially. All right. We might not see a move as strong as Nvidia's for a generation. And even if the next crop of companies that could break through the trillion dollar banner isn't as exciting as, say, uh, Nvidia, there are a few that are close, especially LLY Eli Lilly. Man, Money Tonight, the COVID era was big boom time for the Pets theme. But now that's starting to fade, what should we do with a company like Elanco? I'm talking company Stop Brass. Then you called and you stuck me on intuitive machines, and as I was doing my homework on the stock, well, wouldn't you know it, a company landed on an unmanned cargo leg later, and then it kind of did this, and you see it was like. That's my, that's intuitive machines. I, I, it's okay. It's, I, it's the flood. Look, I don't have a, a dirty tile minolium to have any cheap scotch, but that was a pretty good, come on, that was a pretty good imitation of the intuitive. Stock did rocket higher before plumbing today. It was like this. Remember, it didn't go all the way down because it like fell on something, you know, and it still had the solar coming on it. Yeah, I call that a success. Give me the tang. Alright, what that should you do with the volatility of that stock though? I'm gonna talk about it. And investors are still concerned about the state of the commercial real estate market. I'm getting a sense of Huntington Bank's years and what the CEO is saying, so I say stay with Kramer.
1: Miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to Mad at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
3: Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
2: Has Alanco Animal Health, the veterinary medicine place spun off by Eli Lilly in 2018, finally found its footing? For years, the stock has struggled, but in the last nine months, it's more than doubled off its lows. This morning, Lanco reported it was kind of a mixed update, a small revenue beat with a two-cent earnings miss. Their larger farm animal division came on strong. Their pet business, well, that missed. Hmm. Management's full-year forecast was basically in line with expectations, but their guidance for the current quarter fell short. So initially, the stock opened down 6.5 percent in response. But after the conference call, it snapped back and nearly finished flat on the day, ending down 11 cents. So what on earth is going on here? Let's take him with Jeff Simmons. He's the president and CEO of Alonco Animal Health. He had a better read on the quarter. Mr. Simmons, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Great to be here, Jim. Thank you.
2: Well, Jeff, it was a funny day because initially people were like me. Oh, my God. Did, is this a, a setback? But actually, when the smoke cleared, it showed that you, you're going to You a second, second quarter of 5% growth. Uh, you've done some great things by selling off Aqua because you heard me say I needed to see some of that debt pay down. And now you've got a couple of blockbusters that could really ignite earnings for several years to come. Yeah, you just hit on all
4: the key factors. And I think the second half of 23 showed a lot of proof points as strategies working. Two quarters at 5% growth. And really, the story today is Atlanta's back growing again. And two two really good quality quarters in a row of revenue growth. We're guiding for that growth to continue and actually to increase in 2024 before the blockbusters. So it's all about growth, innovation. Our existing innovation that has a couple of those blockbusters in it actually doubled in 23 compared to 22. And yes, those three blockbusters we talked about are still on a path for a first half 2024 approval. And yes, before the Aqua business, we're guiding, and this was a good discussion today with a lot of investors, our free cash flow conversion is a key company priority. It's going to increase four times in 2024 compared to 2023. So what are the three key drivers to value in Elanco? growth, We've got it. Innovation, we've got it, and more is coming, and this whole free cash flow conversion with what we're doing inside the company, and yes, the Aqua business will do it as well.
2: Well, I love uh, that you're going to be using some of that free cash conversion to buy to get salespeople so that you can go up against uh, Zoetis, because I like if your drugs get approved, those drugs that they have are just ripe for the picking for Elenco. It could be really gigantic. Yeah, we, we've
4: increased earlier in the year 20% more in our sales force in the U.S. And I say this is a lead indicator of our confidence for what we see in this pipeline. Historic pipeline, six potential blockbusters between now and 2025. We also today made another, you know, dis, you know really disciplined decision to say we're going to restructure our business a little bit more. And what we're really going to do here is we're going to take about 4% of our population out and create more resource, to invest for this future pet health blockbusters. And how are we gonna do that? We're gonna we think pigs to pets in Europe. We're gonna go to a B2B model on some of our farm animal business, and we're gonna move to a distribution model in some countries like Argentina that are non-strategic, freeing up on an annualized basis about 30 to $35 million. So, hey, tough decisions, aqua adding sales force, restructuring. Why? Just what you said, Jim, our confidence that we're coming into the next era of growth and innovation that we think is going to be historical for our company.
2: Well, look, I know I got to focus on dermatology first. Uh, it, the, the Zanarelia, to me, uh, I don't know exactly its efficacy versus the drug that we give our dogs all the time, the Aroquil. Um, But I mean, that is a gigantic market. I mean, it's just gigantic. How much of it do you think you can take?
4: Well, look, I think the good news is, as you say, the humanization of pets is happening, the globalization of pets is happening, and the globalization of dermatology is happening. So, And more innovation only creates that market to grow. So I start by saying the market's going to grow. There's still a lot of unsatisfied pet owners, as you, as you highlight here, and vets are saying they want more choices. We've never seen a big market like this have as few choices as they do today. All of those things line up nice. It's a differentiated asset. We're going to follow it with a monoclonal antibody um, that will complement our Jack one that we're going to, you know, launch this year. Those two products and then, you know, we've announced we had some of the biggest next wave of innovation coming in from our RD team that will really be coming in this second half of the decade. A little bit very similar parallel to our parent company, Lilly, as we're looking at, you know, bringing that forward. So uh, Durham's a great market. We got differentiated assets and we're going to be able to compete. Jim. That is
2: a great look. That is a great look at it. I know that when it was spun off, I was always hoping to get some of that Lilly rubbed off on. It. It's really happening now. I've got to tell you, I thought, you know, can Canada- this is me if I were running the company, which I'm not. You are. I would not have downplayed. No, I would I would upplay more about what you're doing with Experior and Bovier, because I think that people are starting to get very wise that even though they're mother nature, cows are an environmental problem and you're addressing them.
4: Yeah, we're really excited about what we're calling livestock sustainability. Elanco has been seven decades serving farmers all over the world. It's where we started, it is our history. We grew this year in farm animal 4% international, 4% in the US, we took market share, but what we're most excited inside the walls of Elanco and working with farmers is is livestock sustainability. Bovair is one of these three blockbusters on a path for the first half of 2024 approval. What it's going to do is it's going to create value, just as you said, Jim, and we're doing it with Experian now. We're going to go into the U.S. dairy market. We're gonna allow a 30% reduction in methane, in enteric methane. It's gonna give farmers the ability to create carbon credits that they're gonna sell to a CPG company in dairy that what do they want? They wanna enhance their brand because this next generation wants more environmentally sustainable dairy products. That's an inset market creating value. And I say sustainability starts with profitability. It starts with farmer profitability first. This is gonna happen this year, Jim. And uh, it's going to open up, I think, the next $1 to $2 billion
2: animal health you know, market. Oh, no, I think there's going to be a group of people who are, I mean, there's a big vegetarian vegan mo- uh, movement in the country. I yeah, know my kids are. And a lot of it is a belief that we, we're we over-cowed, so to speak. And when they think on it, that's really code for the cows are like natural natural gas. They're just not good for the for the environment. You're the first person that's seriously addressing this. And I think it could change the dynamic of what people eat. It's that important.
4: Yeah. This is personal to me, to farmers all over America. They're innovators, they're environmentalists. We say, you know, in the industry, the cow can be the how. And we really believe this. Methane is that short lived gas. Carbon, you're not going to solve the problem the next decade with carbon. You're going to do it with methane. Farmers can do this. And there's many farms that I've been on across this country and around the world that say we can be climate neutral in our lifetime. And we know this next generation wants that. They want to know that where their food comes from, especially beef and dairy products, is going to be that. And Beauvais will be the biggest thing that's happened in the dairy industry and the beef industry in maybe two decades. And it's going to catalyze this movement.
2: Well, I got to tell you, Jeff, I I was so glad you came on. Initially, I was obviously worried because I said, oh, boy, I hope that we're okay here. But boy, are we ever. And and I think that it's really this. This is the the third good quarter, but it's the beginning of when people are going to say, maybe this is the one I should be in. And it's a tribute to you because you really had to work hard to make this company be like what we were all hoping at the beginning. And it's really there now. Jeff Simmons, president and CEO of Alanco. Hey, Jeff, it's really good to have you on. This is the right time. Thank you. Thank you. Dev Money's back here for the break.
1: Coming up to the moon. Can Lunar land you a starry
5: return? Kramer does homework next.
1: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Last Wednesday tonight, Michael in Massachusetts asked about a new space stock of the Machines. She called, and I'm going to quote, team effort with SpaceX and NASA, end quote. One that has a five-year NASA contract to put America back on the moon. Now, it sounded exciting, but I told my client, i got to do some more homework. I wasn't familiar with it. I think I could take some time with the research. But the very next night, we learned that intuitive machines had put an unmanned cargo lander on the moon. And it was already transmitting data. This is the first American spacecraft to get up there since 1972. And the first time any private companies pulled off a moon landing. In response, the stock just went nuts. It's charging up more than 15% the next day. And, and, and that's on top of some monster moves in the previous couple of months. Then, after the close of Friday, we learned that their lunar lander had tipped over. And the stock plunged nearly 35% today, going back down to six bucks and change. See, Intuitive Machines has always had a ridiculously volatile stock. This is one of the hundreds of companies to come public via a SPAC merger in the past few years. They combined with a special purpose acquisition vehicle in February of last year. In these SPAC situations, investors can choose to take shares in the new company or just get their $10 per share initial investment back. And lately, lots of people have gone with the $10. That can create a massive shortage of stock, temporarily sending the share price into the stratosphere. For example, Intuitive Machines went from $10 when it started trading to around $136 at this time last year foretelling back to $10 for the staple. It will only seeing to an all-time low of $2, and it changed in the first couple of days of the year. In fact, until a month ago, it was too small to even mention on our show. But while the stock was a roller coaster, the underlying company was making some legitimate moves. See, Intuitive Machines is one of a few intrepid private companies that stepped up to form the backbone of America's new space program. Back under the Obama administration, the U.S. decided that after years of rising costs and diminishing results from NASA, we were going to start outsourcing. The most famous winner here is Elon Musk's SpaceX, but it's not the only winner. Intuitive Machines wants a piece of the pie, too. They're focused primarily on NASA's Artemis program, which is all about exploring the moon in order to figure out how to send people to Mars. That's a long-term project, though. Near-term, Intuitive Machines is going after what we call the Commercial Lunar Payload Services Initiative, which is exactly what it sounds like. These guys already had some NASA business when they came public via SPAC. In fact, they even had a positive gross margin at the time and were projecting positive free cash flow by next year. But in big break came last spring when their joint venture with KBR won a five-year NASA contract worth as much as $719 million as part of that commercial lunar payload services program. This is the deal Michael in Massachusetts was asking about. And that's what they've been working on for most of the past year and, and last week. Intuitive machines put their lander on the moon, even if we later found out that it didn't quite stick the landing. This was the, actually the second mission in the program. The first one came from another private company last month that didn't even get close to the moon, but that was technical difficulties. Now, even if we hadn't been paying attention, some other investors had noticed where it was going at that time. By the time Michael Matthews just called us about intuitive machines last Wednesday, the stock was already up 265% year-to-date, up nearly 350% from January 4th all-time low of just over 2 bucks. And after the news last Thursday evening of the successful moon launch, the stock had jumped from uh, even more, 8 to 9. But like I mentioned before on Friday night, we learned that while their lander reached the right spot on the moon, it tipped on its side during the final landing process. It really was kind of like this, which ended up limiting its ability to transmit data. If this new development, the stock got obliterated, six and change. Now, despite the stock's big pullback, NASA mostly seems to consider this mission a success. I watched the video. They're really, like, kind of thrilled. The bulk of the research payloads that intuitive lander was carrying are still functional. Its solar panels are, are, are keeping everything charged. And while it's not transmitting data perfectly, it can still transmit. But, man, Intuitive Machines saw its stock more than uh, quintuple in a matter of weeks ahead of the launch. Initially spiked uh, 43% last Friday on the news before giving up most of those gains, then plummeting almost 35% today after we found out that the landing wasn't perfect. Well, I like the story here. You're signing up for what I would regard as one of the most volatile stocks in the entire market. Sure, I can get the financials and tell you that Intuitive's uh, revenue should grow by over 300% this year, or that it's expected to lose money for the foreseeable future. I can tell you that four bold analysts from small firms cover the stock, and all of them have buy or equivalent ratings on it. Buy, buy, buy! At the end of the day, though, this level of volatility and uncertainty makes it hard for me to recommend intuitive machines. Beyond the fact that the stock trades on the successes and setbacks of space travel, which we all know is pretty tricky, right? We also don't know where these guys will get their financing. If I were running Intuitive, I would use this mostly successful mission as an opportunity to sell some stock and raise money. With these heritage SPAC deals, there always seems to be additional shares coming out of nowhere, which makes them so hard to value. Just in the past couple of weeks, Intuitive's share count increased meaningfully when some warrants were exercised. doesn't help, by the way, that the COO and CFO, uh, one person with two jobs, left at the end of last year, although that didn't seem to stop them from landing on the moon. In short, there's a lot of going on here, making this an extremely high-risk proposition, people. But even if I can't go so far as to recommend intuitive machines, I'll certainly be rooting for them. It's exciting to have the U.S. back on the, on the moon, this time via the power of private enterprise. We actually got a new space race going on here. Japan made its first moon landing last month. China has its next lunar landing mission, spilling for the spring. So I'm glad that our outsourced space program is showing signs of life. And you know what? If you really want to participate in the story by picking up some shares of Intuitive Machines, which will cost you about the same amount as, say, three mega millions or Powerball tickets, the analogy is not lost on you, I hope. Well, you know what? I'm not going to stop you. But the bottom line, if you want to buy something like Intuitive Machines, keep in mind that you're engaged in what I call pure rank speculation. So don't use any money you can afford to lose. While it's too risky for me right now, you know what? I'm going to keep it on my radar screen. Kind of cool stock. Let's go to Phil in New York. Phil.
5: Hey Jim, listen, it's it's a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, Jim, I got I got to tell you, thank you so much for everything that you do. I got my fourteen-year-old daughter that's watching your show, and uh, I can see in her eyes she's very eager. So Jim, I, I want to ask you a question about UPS. What are your thoughts on that? Is it a buy?
2: Okay, UPS, I, I am a favor, I, I happen to favor is, is FedEx, and even that's not doing that well. UPS has got a 4.4% yield, and that is not a reason to own the stock, although people keep saying it is. I need to see some meaningful earnings momentum, and I haven't seen it, and that is disconcerting to me. All right, look, if you want to take a stab at a name like intuitive machines, just know that you're engaging in rank speculation. Please don't use any money that you could afford to lose. Much for my money, i include my students with Huntington Banks. is not ranked speculation. Last year was a tough one for the regional banks, so could 2024 be a bit rosier for the cohort, And including one that I think is the best? I'm getting a sense of where we stand with the company's CEO. Then I'm sick of the negativity, people. I'm revealing a few early morning stories I was watching that paint a positive picture on what's going on with the tape. Not the futures, but the tape. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight. of so some lightning rounds to stay with Kramer. 2023, in the rearview mirror, I thought this would be a good year for the regional banks. Then long-term interest rates started rising. Rather than many winners, we got a few select winners. And that's why the SMB regional bank ETF is actually down nearly 10% this year. But those concerns haven't seemed to face the Columbus, Ohio-based Huntington Bank shares, parent of Huntington Bank, which you know is one of my favorite regionals. Five weeks ago, Huntington reported a solid quarter with healthy loan and deposit growth. While management gave you a real robust full-year forecast, stock jumped almost 4% in response. It's actually been flat since then because of worries that the Fed... Well, who knows what they're going to do? Lower, lot lower, soon, when? I think this remains one of the best operators in the group, but don't take it from me. Let's take deeper with Steve Steiner. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Huntington Bank. More. Mr. Steiner, welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Great to be with you, Jim. Thank you.
2: Okay, so, Steve, in the absolute darkest moment last year when things looked like the regionals were going to roll over, play dead, who knew? You came on and you said, look, there's re- not all regionals are created equally. Some of them have really strong franchises uh, and great balance sheets. Uh, you know, I don't think initially people believed you. They obviously believe you now. Is it the culture? What made it so that you were not concerned about outflows? Because you actually had inflows during this period.
5: We did. We grew deposits every quarter, Jim. Uh, we we had a fundamental belief in in having deep customer relationships and managing so that we were building those relationships with the, the long term. So as the Fed was pumping money in with quantitative easing, we moved that off balance sheet year, for years and years. So we didn't have the the massive outflow. We had the highest level of insured deposits to total deposits of any bank, 50 billion or larger. So we were very confident of our outcomes.
2: And now you've got good loan growth, good deposit growth. This seems to be your time to perhaps grow better than any other regional.
5: Well, we think so. And we're poised to do that. We made some investments last year. We put three new specialty uh, businesses in place. And we also significantly expanded in the Carolinas, both North and South Carolina. So the core has performed well, as we saw in those numbers last year. And now we have an additional tailwind from these three new businesses, plus a great group of new colleagues in the Carolinas, which are very attractive markets.
2: All right, so tell me how that works. I mean, the Carolinas obviously already have banks. How are you able to take share coming in from uh, from another state?
5: Well, we've been there for over a decade and we've been uh, staffing up along the way, building the business. And we saw a moment in time where, the, from the dislocation of Silicon Valley, that bankers were interested in moving forward, investing, growing the business. We did not shrink our balance sheet. We grew it, as you pointed out. We grew the loan portfolio. We took care of our customers, and we looked to continue to grow, particularly as we moved into 24. And that's a very different posture than a number of banks well, in the I, industry.
2: When I read through all of your reports, I found that very one thing uh, I felt gratifying everyone tells me I should be petrified about commercial real estate. You describe commercial real estate as not all one bucket, and that even the bucket everyone's supposed to hate, you think that actually can't sink any, well, certainly won't hurt Huntington back.
5: Well, for us, it's 10% of our total loan portfolio. We've got a, a, a great reserve, a loan loss reserve, I guess, one of the peer leading reserves, and we've been very disciplined with an aggregate, moderate to low risk appetite for 15 years. Within that commercial real estate portfolio, it's very relationship-oriented, coming back to the nature of our business. And so we're highly confident we will work with our customers, we'll help them get through whatever the challenges they have, if they have any, and many won't have. Have particular challenges.
2: All right, so Steve, everyone keeps telling me that this is the time for banks to adopt AI. Now, I totally understand AI from a regulatory point of view. It's great to have your loan officers be able to comply with the law very easily through AI, or have salespeople be able to speak and know that they're uh, that what they're saying is is the right thing to say. But AI can't replace relationships.
5: That's right. That's right. Now we've been using AI for seven or eight years selectively in different applications. Generative AI is changing that, but fundamentally we're in a people business and it's about people, trust, relationships, and that's been the secret to our success thus far.
2: Well, now let's talk about the new verticals that you mentioned. Now, one of them, one's current healthcare services, but Native American financial services. Now, this is not necessarily something that you're gonna make a lot of money in. Is this something you feel is just important to do as an American?
5: Well, we we have just in the state of Michigan a half dozen tribes that we have we do some business with, but we didn't feel we had the expertise. In Colorado, there's another set of tribes, so we're 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 already uh, embracing Native American uh, businesses, but it's selective, it's one off. We think as we continue to grow and expand throughout the country that there's an opportunity here, building off the base we have to do things better and become a better partner. Uh, in that well, sector,
2: it just can't be a cash society. That would be terrible. Let me ask you one last thing. When we spoke last, I was I was very excited about Intel and what they were doing with chips. Now, the Intel subsequently delayed. Uh, I, does that delay the whole project, or is so much going on that it, that it's okay that Intel delays a little bit?
5: Well, the the, the most recent delay announced uh, six weeks or so ago was in part tied to uh, funding just not having come through. It's back to the original schedule. They had accelerated right. off the original. So we feel very good about it. We've got a team from central Ohio and Korea and Japan this week lining up suppliers who are gonna come into to greater Columbus. Oh, great. And so this is fabulous. The construction, the cranes, the cement, the rest, the steel going up, it's all there.
2: Yeah, we gotta get there. You know we're going to. Now, the last thing I need to know is that you guys had the most thorough analysis of what happens under every scenario with the Fed, but what I wasn't sure of is, is that it seemed to me that you might make the most money if the Fed just stands pat.
5: We do like that scenario, and and uh, that will that will work to our advantage. But we've been in this point of view that the the market was 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 way off with six to seven cuts. We were thinking two to three, and so we positioned our derivative portfolio and and our risk management overall for that sort of environment. I think that's more likely than not. If they don't change rates, that's great for us as well.
2: Well, well, that's exactly what I want my bank to be doing. Well, congratulations. I love it when someone comes on and says something that is so not conventional wisdom, and it goes his way because he's got relationships and because you know your darn bank. And that's what people need to do. That's Steve, that's Steve Steiner, he's chairman, president and CEO of Huntington Bankers. Steve, every time you come on, I recognize that not all banks are created equal. How about that?
5: I love that statement. And we're uh, uh, with your advice, Jim, we're on the right track.
2: Oh, I know you are. <laughs> that's terrific. Man Money's back after
1: the break. thanks, Steve. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next.
2: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skeet? Daddy time for the light round. covers But I want to start with. How about Joe in Indiana? Joe.
1: Hi, Mr. Kramer. First, thank I'd you. like to thank you for all the help you've given me over the years. I'd never oh, be you, able to repay you. Public storage, sir. Thank you.
2: I think the stock is down on an opportunity. I tell you, a lot of people are saying the same thing as always. There are too many of these places. Give me a break. These guys are very smart operators. I want you to buy the stock. Now we're going to go to Craig in Pennsylvania. Craig.
3: Hey, what's going on? How are you doing today? It's doing well. It's kind of breaking up there. All right, what's uh, up? Sorry about that. Well, I was talking about a stock I found last year. It's been up like 39% the past three months. It's up over 115% uh, on a year. And I was wondering if I should pick up some more before they per- uh, report earnings on Wednesday. It's uh, VST, Vistra. That is a parabolic move,
2: sir. I have got to study that before I could ever recommend it. I have actually, that is, in that is some move. I got to do more work on that. I've not seen anything like that in a long time. Let's go to uh, a- a- Akinola in Maryland. Akinola. How
3: are you, Jim? Thank you for picking my call today. I've been following you
1: be for over a decade, and I, I am a dedicated call member. God bless you, James. Thank you for thank you for making us not to depend on day to day job. You are a legend. You know my question. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My question is
2: about a software and IT service company called Opspar. Called- Everybody loves this. They call it the junior force, okay? To me, I think Salesforce is the Salesforce, and you don't need HubSpot. Now, Salesforce reports this week. I am not saying buy it ahead of the quarter. I am saying that we have owned it for a very long time for my travel trust, but I don't need to go down the list of HubSpot when I got CRM. Let's go to Sam in Massachusetts. Sam. Jim Cramer, I've learned a lot from you through the years. Oh, thank As a you. a club
5: member through the years. And um,
2: one of the things, I've learned what it takes to battle a stock and grind away. And you're amazing. Your conviction level, I love it. And I've always thank admired you. that about you. And thank you. sticking with a stock and having it turn around is so, so awesome. And what I'm wondering is, am I in the beginning stages of a long, drawn-out battle with AMN Healthcare? Yes, you are you are. I, I read some research this morning. It just seems like it's just going it to be a real battle. And there's so many non-battle stocks right now. You do not need to do a battle. And I'm in some of the battle stocks and it don't feel good. So let's stay away. Me in Massachusetts. Me. Hi, Jim. It's been Amid. like a long time since I wanted to talk to you. Um, I am currently in Massachusetts but I have been listening to you since I was a kid in the Himalayas. So um, thank you for all of your advice. Um... I wanted to talk to you about, like, a stock, which is in the cyberspace. space. Do you think Cloudflare is an AI play in the cyber space? Cloudflare, Matthew Prince, one of my absolute favorite stocks. There's just buy, such buy, a buy, fantastic buy, buy, narrative there. You must hold on to Cloudflare. And if it gets hit, you buy more. I want to go to Matthew in Virginia. Matthew. Hi, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I am good, Matthew. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. Just trying to get some schoolwork done.
2: Okay. Um, had
1: a question about Carvana.
2: Carvana has had a very, very big move now. I, I think Ernie Garcia is doing a terrific job, but you got to wait for a pullback. A lot of it is short squeeze. Let's wait for it to pull back little, then we can buy it. And that lightning conclusion of the lightning round.
1: The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, can pizza tell the secrets of this market? Kramer takes the dough seriously, but not just from Domino's. When we
4: return.
2: We don't give this market enough due. Every day when the futures look down at four and five in the morning, something happens that's positive which then propels the averages higher once the session begins. This morning, for example, we got a strong quarter from Domino's with very good same store sales and a much better long-term growth forecast than anyone expected. On top of that, they gave you 25% dividend boost and an additional billion-dollar buyback authorization, which is pretty substantial for a $16 billion company. Now, I'm not saying every company will deliver exceptional numbers, and I'm not saying we'll get one of these positives that bails us out every single day. I am saying that Domino's Pizza is a household name, one that's held the line against inflation with a bunch of irons in the fire, and maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that they can. Give us such encouraging numbers. Stock jumps nearly 6% today because people didn't see it coming. They were too negative. If you gave Domino's Russell Wiener the benefit of the doubt, well, then guess what? You'd have a nice win. Well, how about Palo Alto Networks bouncing back more than 7% today after monumental bruising over, uh, after the quarter? At the annual investing club meeting this weekend, which I had so much fun at, we told people to buy the weakness of Palo Alto because the disappointing quarter had nothing to do with demand. If anything, there was too much of it. The real problem came down to a necessary change the business model that will eventually make the company even richer than it was. Sure enough, now Palo Alto's up big from its post-quarter lows. Why? Well, one reason might be because Healthcare's Optum business got hacked. I bet they could use Palo Alto's full security suite, which is what Nikesh Rohr, the CEO, is offering. I think it would be wise to use just one vendor, too. It would end the so-called client fatigue that Nikesh spoke about on our show. You could say this monstrous data breach came out of nowhere. I say these things happen pretty much, well, almost every day, which is why a big reason you can't just write off Palo Alto Networks down 100 points in a day. Or how can we ignore the nearly 4% run of Micron, which is a stock that had been recently left for dead, is not a great companion play to NVIDIA. It is. Micron hasn't had its due. And who knows? Maybe tomorrow's Zoom video, right? Maybe they put a smile on our faces with its quarter tonight. These moves are all signs that are emblematic, not of a bubble, but of companies doing much better than expected. Stocks are going up on rational experience. They're not going up on irrational. And they're not going up on the dreaded multiple expansion, where people keep paying more for the same earnings. Remember, everybody loves to point to NVIDIA as the best evidence of a bubble, but their numbers have grown to the point where the stock now sells for less than 27 times earnings. Uh, Next year's earnings, I should say. And that's only four turns higher than Procter & Gamble, 23 times earnings. I mean, come on, it's a steal, right? It's four times a little better than I mean, Procter versus NVIDIA. And I love Procter. The shopper trust owns it. Why does this keep happening? Because great companies can reinvent themselves on the fly. I know that makes me sound like a cheerleader. I don't care. I'm never going to stop pointing out to you because it happens constantly, and no one else seems to want to talk about it because it's too Pollyannish. Walmart reinvents itself with tremendous sales thanks to its nascent advertising business and its rollback strategy. Ralph Lauren and tapestry show you that apparel can make money. Gap stores, come on, how about that one? That was one of the greatest turnarounds in history. We got a takeover bid from Dis- uh, for Discover Financial from competitor Capital One. A lack of housing helps give Toll Brothers an opening to sell $1 million homes with ease. Not to mention great gross margins and the refiners. How about them? They keep adding to their earnings because of the decline in oil prices, their main input costs. These are all meaningful stories, people, and they all resonate. If not, then you shouldn't be focused on the market. So the next time you start to feel excessively negative about stocks, remember, every day there are companies doing great things out there for you. You just need to know where to look for them. I like to say, as always, a bull market summer. I promise you, just for you right here my buddy. Money, I'm Jim Bammer See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.
1: its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.